Welcome to Practical Christian Living. I wonder if you can remember when you have been touched emotionally by God, when you literally broke down and cried because God had done something in your life or you needed forgiveness. I can tell you that I have. Jesus came for the sinner, and the most incredible outpourings of mercy we see is when Jesus interacts with sinners. We're in our series, Jesus Appointments, where we just studied Jesus and his harsh words for the Pharisees. Today, we see Jesus' encounter with a sinful woman and the great mercy and love Jesus responds with. May we have the same mercy that we receive from our Savior. We're in Luke chapter 7. Here's Robert Furrow. Father, we want to thank you for your word. It truly is rich and deep and powerful and meaningful. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your word, that we would really be spoken to about how we live and how we can reflect your love. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. On the passage that we're covering today, we see three different individuals. We see a Pharisee that invites Jesus over for dinner. We see Jesus respond to that invitation from the Pharisee and goes over to his house. And then there is an uninvited guest. A sinful woman shows up at the Pharisee's house. Uh, the word for sinner when used for a female in the ancient Greek culture and Hellenistic environment would mean a prostitute. That's what a sinner would be. So a prostitute shows up at a Pharisee's house when Jesus has been invited over for a dinner and you could not have any greater contrast between that Pharisee and this prostitute. And the interaction that takes place here is so incredibly interesting and really helps us to understand the great forgiveness and the great compassion, the great mercy that Jesus Christ has. Both of these people were sinners. The scribe looked good on the outside, but was a sinner. The prostitute was an outright sinner. Both of them had sin in their lives. Jesus said, there's no one good but God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, I think it's verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we know that we have sin in our lives, but all of us have to take care of that sin, whether we have sinned a lot or whether we have sinned a little bit. We pick it up in verse 36 of Luke chapter 7, where it says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. It's interesting how often Jesus is invited over to eat. It's been said that he never turned down an invitation for a meal. In fact, at one point, he invited himself to dinner. Remember in Jericho when he tells Zacchaeus, come out of that tree. I'm going to your house for lunch today or I'm going to your house so that we're going to eat. And I think about the fellowship that takes place during those meals in Revelation 3.20 where Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any of you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and dine with you and you with me. It speaks of that intimate fellowship and that Jesus would receive an invitation from Nicodemus, from this Pharisee. There's another Pharisee that he goes and has dinner with as well. 
that he's open to anyone who wants to talk to him. And I think that we're going to see that this Pharisee's intentions weren't necessarily good, but Jesus would go to anyone who called him. If you're here today and you might not really want to follow after Jesus, but you want to know more about what he's about, I believe that if you call on his name that he will meet you here. I believe that if you think you are one who is not worthy to even show up in his presence, that Jesus will meet with you as well. Any of us that calls out on the name of the Lord, God will meet us there. His motives, what motives did he have for inviting Jesus over? There's been a lot of suggestions. Well, he wanted to trap him. There were other scribes and Pharisees, lawyers who tried to trap Jesus. They thought that he wanted to trap him. Maybe he wanted to hear sincerely what Jesus said. We don't know, but there are some clues that we get as this account unfolds. Then we get to verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them away with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. So this woman who is a sinner, as we said, most likely a prostitute, comes into the house of the Pharisee. We have no reason to think that this is the first time that she ever saw Jesus. Jesus is ministering in this town. And in fact, in Matthew, before this event takes place, we know that Jesus had just got done saying, if any of you are weary and heavy laden, then come unto me and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Maybe that woman heard Jesus say that. Maybe she heard him speak of the incredible forgiveness. Maybe she saw him forgive the man who was a paralytic. He said, I forgive you of your sins. And he said, so that you would know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Pick up your bed and walk. But this woman walks into the house of that Pharisee. Now, it was common in those days when rabbis were eating and discussing spiritual things for people to come in and stand around the table and to listen to the conversations. It was a little bit of entertainment. I think I'd really have to be hard up for entertainment, but it was, it was entertainment in their day. So it wasn't uncommon for people to go in while people were having meals, but it certainly was uncommon for a prostitute to walk in. And she's a sinner. She's known as a sinner. People in this area know her. It must have been one of the hardest things for her to do to walk into that Pharisee's house. But maybe an invitation, maybe she heard an invitation like the one that I just said, come unto me, all of you who are weary. And she stands behind him and she has an emotional breakdown. She, she just begins to, to cry. Maybe she was wanting to approach Jesus, but she stopped at his feet. Now, if you're thinking of a table like modern day tables, then you're not going to get this. How could she stand behind him and cry and wash his feet with her hair? Well, because they had, there were two different things. Sometimes their, their tables were almost on the ground and they literally laid around on pillows, laying on their left side, leaving their right hand free to eat the different food that was up there. They also had couches that they would have or chairs that they would have and they would recline on these chairs again on their left side and they would sit around the table and they would eat. That's the way they did meals in those days. When we see our pictures of the Last Supper 
and everybody's in an English-style table with English-style chairs. That's not the way it looked. We need to go back to how they were having meals in those days. And so when this woman would walk up to approach Jesus, she would first of all get to his feet. And when she's there at his feet, maybe she noticed something. Maybe she was just moved. Maybe God was doing a work and the Holy Spirit was moving. I wonder if you can remember when you have been touched emotionally by God, when you literally broke down and cried because God had done something in your life or you needed forgiveness. I can tell you that I have. I've done it in worship before. I've shared a while ago that we have one song that we used to sing a long time ago that was from Isaiah. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them as white as snow. And I remember just the sense that God had forgiven me of all of my sins was so overwhelming, it literally brought me to tears. This woman has so much sin and she's sitting before the Savior. What's really taking place is so incredibly powerful that she begins to cry. And there's so much water that she starts to wash his feet with the tears that she's crying. We're going to see in a moment that maybe we get a clue into Simon's intentions because of her washing his feet. And then she takes her hair and she dries his feet with her hair. And then she takes out an alabaster flask of oil and she anoints his feet. I heard someone say years ago that you didn't anoint the feet of people. And uh, so this must have been, maybe she was, you know, feeling hesitant about approaching. But I don't know. There are several times that Jesus gets his feet anointed. He gets his feet anointed by Mary, the sister of Martha. He gets his feet anointed by another woman in, in, in another setting. I, it seems to me like this is something that happened. And this woman took perfumed oil and she put it on his feet. Now, Simon's looking at her, and you've got to think this as well to some degree. He's looking at her. Her, this, her. this woman is a sinner. She's sexually immoral, and she begins to wash his feet with her tears and to wipe his feet with her hair and then anoints him with oil, and Simon thinks it's inappropriate. It's a religious act. There's nothing sexual about it. It's her in her devotion towards him. She's weeping, and she's crying as she does it. But a Pharisee would have never have let a woman like this touch him. In fact, we're told that the religious leaders of their day used to pull their robes in tight when they walked through crowds. Because if they brushed up against a sinner, then they would have to, then they would be unclean. They wouldn't be able to perform the things that they did as scribes and Pharisees, as religious leaders, because they believed that they were, you know, so special and so dedicated that if they rubbed up against sinners, then that caused them to be unclean. Think about Jesus, how radically different Jesus is than this. He doesn't mind stooping down and talking to the woman caught in the act of adultery. He doesn't mind reaching out and touching a leper. Even when he was born, he was born in a cave, literally, or a barn. He was laid in a, in a saliva-streaked manger. He was always willing to get right down in the dirt with people, to be where they were. If you feel like you're the kind of person that Jesus can't come to because there's sin in your life, well, then you've got you to rearrange that thinking because you are, are the exact kind of person that Jesus wants to hear from. Really, Jesus wants to hear from anyone who will call out his name and seek repentance. And he draws Pharisees and he draws sinners. 
verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is touching him, for she is a sinner. So now he judges Jesus. This maybe gives us a clue into his intentions. He's pretty quick to judge him. This woman comes in and does this, and Jesus is like, if he were a prophet, then he would know. So he wants to know. He's, he's looking to see if Jesus is really a prophet. And Jesus knows what he's thinking because he is the Messiah. In Simon's, oh, if this is Simon, in this Pharisee's mind, he is, in this Pharisee's mind, he is at least on par with Jesus. Maybe even he thinks of himself because he's older, because he's more mature. He thinks of himself as even being better than Jesus. And so when Jesus presents this question to him, well, listen to the question and then look at the response. In verse 40, Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, and there's a name, I have something to say to you. He said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. That's one and a half years worth of wages. One and a half, uh, uh, 500 denarii. And the other 50. That's just a couple of months. And when they had nothing in which to repay, he freely forgave both of them. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. Now, the first thing I want you to notice about his response is the word, I suppose. Has that ever struck you as strange? If, if the story is just told to you, one guy owes 500 denarii, a year and a half, let's just call it $100,000. One guy owes $100,000. Another guy owes $10,000. And he forgives both of them. Which one is going to love more? You would say, well, the one who was forgiven more. You wouldn't have to say, well, I suppose. It almost sounds religious and sarcastic. Well, I suppose the one who was forgiven more. Jesus' response to him is, and he said, you have, you have rightly judged. But then he moves on. He moves on really quick. He doesn't spend any more time with Simon at this point. He says, you have rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I have entered your house. And you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them away with her hair of her head. You gave me no kisses, and this woman has not ceased kissing my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with the fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves a little. Now, there were several common courtesies in their day that this Pharisee forgot completely. He didn't do it. It was common courtesy. You had sandals, you're walking on dirt roads. When you would go into someone's house, they would have a servant who would wash your feet. And if they didn't have a servant who could wash your feet, then they would wash your feet. Remember Jesus getting up at the Last Supper and putting a towel around him and beginning to wash the disciples' feet? And Peter's saying, you will never wash my feet. None of them, they were all talking about who's going to be greatest, but none of them thought about taking the role of a servant and washing one another's feet. And so Simon didn't wash his feet, didn't have anybody wash his feet. 
Jesus just came in and sat down. He didn't give him the common courtesy of that day. It was also a common greeting to kiss someone on the cheek. That's the way that they greeted one another. But even in parts of Europe before this whole thing, people would greet one another with kisses. They'd kiss each other on each cheek. And that was the way that they greeted one another when they brought them into their house. And then they would give them a little bit of perfume. They would anoint them with perfume just to kind of set the, the mood, the evening off on the right spot. It was a way to say, I want you to be blessed and just to give them a little bit of anointed oil or perfume just as they come into their house. Simon had done none of those things, which tells us that he, wasn't, he probably wasn't like Nicodemus. Nicodemus approached and said, what must I do to enter into heaven? And Jesus almost immediately said, you must be born again in order to partake of the kingdom of God. But Simon doesn't have that same heart. Simon is questioning. Maybe he's willing to be convinced, but Jesus sees that he's, he hasn't done these basic things. Now let's think about the fact of being forgiven much and loving much. We quoted in the beginning of our study, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so all of us are sinners. Some of us have tried to live with integrity. People try to live with a, be the best people that they can possibly be. Some people have been religious their whole time. Other people just go all out into sin. Other people are just sinners and they just go out and seek it. They live for it. When I think of my father, I think of a man who wanted to live in integrity. And it's easy for someone who wants to live with integrity to not think that there's anything wrong. They looked good from a human perspective. And so when Jesus says, the one who was forgiven little, he's talking about Simon, who's trying to live this life that is, uh, that has uh, integrity to it, and he looks good, but he still has sin that has to be dealt with. But in reality, the sin of Simon is greater than the, the sin of the woman, or at least as bad. At one point, Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees, and this must have blown them away, he said, I tell you the truth. Tax collectors and prostitutes will go into the kingdom of God before you because their arrogance and their pride held them outside. But tax collectors and prostitutes understood their sin and they came to God. Sometimes we think that people that have a lot of sin in their life are the farthest away from God when they are actually the closest to God. And don't mistake this to mean, well, I got to go out and get sinning a lot so I love Jesus a bunch. Because that's not the context. That's not what he's saying. Simon could have recognized, I am a proud, arrogant hypocrite. Jesus had enough to say to the scribes and Pharisees about how bad their lifestyle was that, that he could have easily have been just had the weight of his sin fall upon him. M maybe it's a lot easier for a woman that has practiced prostitution to feel the heavy weight of guilt. Or maybe someone that has gone out and, and purchased sex to feel the heavy weight of guilt. More so than someone who has this sin of pride or thinks they're better than other people or, or, or is blocking other people from entering in by telling people that they have to be more like him. And maybe that's really what makes the love great when we realize how much God can forgive.
how much he will forgive. And we sometimes don't feel like we've been forgiven a lot. You might think you're a pretty good person and you gave your life to Christ and maybe the love of God isn't there. And what we need is a good dose of what we really look like. That the heart of man is black and that there's enough sin in our lives. We have enough sin for us to say, my sin would have cast me apart from God forever and therefore I'm so thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus upon that cross. And so in verse 48, then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And when those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? This is something that Jesus did a few times. He would just turn to someone and say, your sins are forgiven. It's something that, that no one would have dared to ever have said before. Because how can your offenses to other people be forgiven by me? And the answer would be, they can't be. But Jesus is God and is the one who can forgive sins, something that is invisible. And when he first introduced this topic, it was early on in his ministry when that man who was paralyzed was lowered in a roof in front of him. And he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. First thing he says to him, and I make a joke about the four guys holding up the bed, lowering it down on ropes. No, we didn't tear the roof off. We didn't bring him here, climb on the roof, tear the roof off, drop him down in front of you to have his sins forgiven. He's paralyzed. But Jesus knew that greater than this man's need to walk, he was paralyzed, was that his sins would be forgiven. That's the greatest need of this woman. That was the greatest need of that paralyzed man. And when he turns to her and says, your sins are forgiven, it's not because she she wept on his feet. It's not because she kissed his feet. It's not because she wiped his feet with her hair. It's because she came to the Savior and she humbled herself and she was looking for that. And I love that. Sometimes we get so stuck on methods. We think the way people get saved. You know, I have a prayer that I've prayed for literally 35 years, maybe even more than that, leading people to Christ. You guys all know the prayer for those of you who regularly attend because I ask you to say it. Would those of you who raise your hand and everyone else say this prayer after me? Because I figure it's okay. We can pray the prayer. I got to pray it every time. You might as well too. I kind of bring you in with me on that. Plus, it's good for you to know that prayer. But it's not a prayer that saves you. Even the thief on the cross just said, remember me when you're coming into your kingdom. This was her point of faith. And I love that it wasn't even words because it's really the heart. It's not following a certain, okay, let me, let me repeat a prayer after you. I was led to Christ by repeating a prayer after someone, but it wasn't the repeating the prayer that saved me. It wasn't me saying, yes, I want to invite Jesus into my life that saves you. When you raise your hand in church and surrender your life to Christ and, and invite him in, it's not raising your hand that saves you. It's not repeating the prayer that saves you. It's what's going on inside of you that made you raise your hand. It's what's happening in you that you say, yes, I want to receive him. I can think that this woman probably thought that she would never be received by anyone who was religious, that she would always be an outcast. But to hear the teachings of Jesus, to see the things that he said, she opened up. And then he said to the woman, 
Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.